So our gospel lesson this morning is from uh, John chapter 4. Before I get to that, um, I want to talk about water this morning. Water in the desert. Uh, When I was in the Marine Corps in another lifetime many years ago, seems like that anyway, there was one commodity that we could never take for granted, and that was water. A a supply of clean, drinkable water in the desert means the difference between moving forward to your destination or stopping to wait for that supply to catch up with you. It can mean the difference between accomplishing a mission or not. It can mean the difference in the worst of circumstances between life and death because water in the desert is life. I remember that we had these thick canvas water bags. It, they were almost like burlap, only they weren't burlap. They were, they were canvas and they'd hold about a gallon of water. And we would soak these bags in water and then fill them up with water and then we'd hang them on the outside of our vehicles and the water-soaked canvas would evaporate and it would cool the water on the inside. I'm not sure of the physics of it, but it worked. And so as long as you kept the canvas wet, then the water inside the bag would remain cool. And these bags, I remember, were always in limited supply. And therefore, they were in very high demand. I remember that we were in the, the desert in, uh, in Kuwait and all of these canvas bags that we had had been contaminated by the oil from the oil well fires that had been set as they uh, were pushed out of Kuwait back into Iraq. And so we didn't have any more of these bags. And if you've ever had tepid, hot water from a canteen it's just not the most pleasant thing I mean you'll drink it because you need it but it wasn't cool it wasn't refreshing it didn't satisfy and I remember writing a letter one day back to my mom and dad in the states and about a month and a half later a care package showed up and there were a dozen of these canvas bags We were, we were in this position outside of Kuwait International Airport, and we'd been there for a few days, and the supply truck came rolling in at long last, and a care package was dumped off, and there were these bags, and we could fill them with water, and we would have cool, refreshing water, and that was a good day. In Exodus 17... We see the people of Israel in a situation where water has become their sole focus. See, directed by God, all of Israel had moved in smaller groups through the wilderness of sin. They set up camp at Rephidim and there wasn't a drop of water for the people to drink. And the people took Moses to task and they said, give us water to drink. 
they sure did have a lot of faith in Moses, didn't they? Moses, produce water somehow, do it. But Moses said, why are you pestering me and why are you testing God? But the people were thirsty for water and that's all they could think about. And so they complained to Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt, drag us out here to the desert with our children and our livestock and now you're just going to let us die of thirst? They sure didn't know how to complain. So Moses cries out to prayer, in prayer to God, and he says, what do you want me to do with these people? Any minute now, they're going to kill me. They're going to stone me. And God says to Moses, I got this. Go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel so that they can be witnesses to this. Take the staff that you use to turn the Nile into blood. You remember that story from your Old Testament? Take that staff with you and go. And when you get to Horeb, I will be there already. And if you strike the rock with your staff, water will gush out and the people can drink. So Moses did that. He did exactly what God told him. He took the elders of Israel right there and they were watching and he struck the the rock at Horeb and water gushed out and the people drank and he named the place Massa which means testing place and he named it Meribah which means quarreling and he named it that because of the quarreling of the Israelites and because of their testing of God when they said Is God here with us or not? It's a question they would ask for 40 years. Is he here with us or not? See, the wilderness of sin is an actual place. The desert of sin. It's a geographic area between Elim and the wilderness of Sinai. It's about 700 square miles of rocks and dirt and sand and there's very little water. And the Israelites are in a bad spot and they're up to their usual grumbling and complaining. Is God with us here or not, Moses? We're thirsty. In our Lenten journey, through our particular wilderness, whatever your wilderness is for you, whether it's financial hardship, whether it's illness, whether it's relationship issues, whatever wilderness you find yourself in, we can sometimes feel in this Lenten journey we're on where we're looking inside ourselves a little bit, we can feel like we're in this desert wilderness. And as we look into these deep recesses of our lives, as we examine where we are in our faith walk, as we try to get a handle on our relationship with God, we can sometimes feel abandoned in that wilderness. Can't we? Well, come on, it's not just me. We can sometimes feel abandoned in the wilderness, thirsty for refreshment and just not finding any. See, the wilderness of sin is not just a geographic place in the Middle East. The wilderness of sin is a state of being. It's a place where we find ourselves where life-giving water is so scarce. 
Moses struck the rock at Horeb and God provided water in the desert of sin. So where does our life-giving water during this Lenten season we're in, where does that come from in our particular wilderness of sin? So in the gospel this morning, we discover that Jesus is the well of the life-giving water. Let me read to you from John. Buckle up, because it's a long scripture, but we're going to get through it, I promise. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. So we're talking the heat of the day when water is something that most of us would be thinking about in the desert. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Because the Jews don't share anything in common with the Samaritans. It was just not what was done. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Men didn't talk to women. I don't know how they got anything done. But Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will come in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. I don't know why that's necessary. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus is going right to the heart of the matter, isn't it? Forget the bucket and the well and all of that. He's going right to the problem. And he said, the woman says to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus gives her much more than what she bargained for. And the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. See, even the word of the Messiah has has reached the Samaritans. It's not just a Jewish thing, is it? When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. So right about this time, the disciples show up from the city where they were buying food. And they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So back in town, many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I had ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to you, Lord Christ. So that's a long passage of Scripture in John, so let's just break it down just a little bit. See, Jesus is the source of living water, in our wilderness of sin, just like he was the source of living water in the Samaritan's woman's wilderness of sin. As we go through this desert journey that we're on in this season of Lent, let's not be afraid to dig deeply into those hidden places in our mind and our heart and root out the darkest recesses and expose them to the light of truth. Don't be afraid in this Lenten season to dig deeply inside here and in here and figure out 
What is your wilderness of sin? See, the Lenten journey is a time for self-examination. Don't be afraid to do some exploratory surgery. Remember, and here's why you don't need to be afraid. Remember that as a believer in Jesus, there is no condemnation. That should free you up right there. Feel free to dig deep. It may be painful, but remember, there's no condemnation in Jesus. He's not judging you. You've already had that sin expunged from the record because of your relationship with Jesus. So you can go ahead and dig deep and and, and get all that stuff out because it's already been paid for. Whatever you find there in those hidden places of your soul, all that stuff that's pushed deep down in there, all that stuff is already forgiven. In Christ, there is no condemnation. I can't say that enough. Bring that stuff out. Expose it to the light of day. Drink deeply from the living water and get safely to the other side of your wilderness of sin. Don't let that stuff stay in there any longer. It doesn't need to. You're free of it. But you have to expose it to the light. And give it to God. That's what Paul was saying to us in the epistle that Bobby read. He says, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, which is to set us right with Him, make us fit with who He is, perfect, holy, just. We get to have it all together with God because of what Jesus did for us. See, when you throw open your heart and your soul to God, you will discover at that very moment that He has already got His heart thrown open for you already. It's there waiting for you just like he was waiting at the rock at Horeb for Moses to show up and strike the rock and out toward the living water. And what's more is that there is more of that to come. When we continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with all these troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop this passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges this tempered steel of virtue that keeps us alert for whatever God will do next. That's what Paul is saying in, in the epistle. We can't possibly round up enough containers to hold all of the living water that God is waiting to pour out for you in your wilderness of sin. Christ comes right on time. He doesn't wait for us to get ready. He's already waiting for us just to turn to Him.
Are you at a place in this Lenten journey as we approach Good Friday where Jesus gave Himself up on the cross for you? Poured out His blood for you. His blood was not spilled. No one took His life from Him. He poured out His blood for you. He gave His life for you. As He said, do you not think that if I wanted to, I could call down legions of angels from heaven and prevent this whole thing from happening? But it was not His will that He wanted done. He wanted the will of the Father. And what was the Father's will? The Father's will was that all of us be reconciled back to Him. Hence the need for the sacrifice on the cross. And the end result is living water is poured out for you in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's just like we say when we do the communion liturgy from the altar. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves God's love for us. While we were still adrift in our wilderness of sin with no water in sight, God gave His only Son who poured out His life, His living water for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Glory be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.